right, we're on the air. Happy to be with you guys again. And this time we're going to talk about trust busters. And hopefully in a moment you'll understand what the focus of the episode is. Dave, we're going to start with some lyrics before we play a familiar song for some of our listeners here. Here's some lyrics that you may or may not recall from a certain movie character back in the day. I'll just read through these. It's very short. Trust in me, just in me. Shut your eyes and trust in me. You can sleep safe and sound knowing I am around. Slip into silent slumber, sailing on a silver mist. Slowly and surely your senses will cease to resist. Trust in me, just in me. Shut your eyes and trust in me. You remember that song, Dave? I think we should play it. Should we play it? Let's play it. You can believe in me. Trust in me. Just in me. Shut your eyes. Trust in me. Hold still, please. (laughs) You can sleep safe and sound knowing I am around. Slip into silent slumber. Sail on a silver mist. Slowly and surely your senses will cease to resist. You're snoring. Sorry. (laughs) Trust in me. Just in me. All right. Yeah. So yesterday, Michael and I were discussing this topic of trust, and I had a revelation. Uh oh. Literally, these things just pop into my head, and I have to recall now that was 50 years ago, approximately, when the movie Jungle Book came out. Yeah. And the words trust in me just boom popped him. Oh, it's Ka. Ka and Mowgli. Mm-hmm. And perfect. Go ahead. And do you want to get into some of that verbiage there? We we will, yes. Let's just talk quickly about some of these perfect lyrics as far as what we're talking about today. So trust in me, of course, just in me. So don't trust in anything else. Just in Ka, the snake, in this example. <laughs> in this example, yeah. she's got a lot of saints. Yep. The Shut one, your eyes. Yeah. Exactly. Shut your eyes. Shut your eyes. <laughs> so don't use, you know, don't research things. Don't look into things on your own. Just shut your eyes and just trust in me. I'm the brethren, let's say. 
trust everything I say, just what I say. Don't open your eyes and look around. You can sleep safe and sound, right? One of my favorite next little tidbits, as he says, slip into silent slumber. Slowly and surely, your senses will cease to resist. So your your intuition, your reasoning and logic. Critical thinking. Yeah, critical thinking. Those will just... Cease to resist. He wants he wants this person, meaning us as members, uh, former members, to be asleep. That's right. Stay asleep. Stay asleep. The funny thing that isn't part of the lyrics, he's like, You're snoring. And Mogus is like, Oh, uh, I'm sorry. And I thought of people just falling asleep in church. <laughs> Sorry, oh, not sister, sister Lister again. Uh, this old bag and yeah. stories about going on vacation and shit. Yeah, I mean, your senses are so dulled that you end up falling asleep sometimes. Oh, okay, wake up. All of a sudden, you hear this loud thud, and somebody's head is hit the bench <laughs> in front of them. <laughs> Paramedics. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right, let's jump into some LDS Church in the news. All right, guys, some not so happy news today, unfortunately. Not like any of this is way happy, but less happy. So we have a couple bishops here, and this actually goes interestingly, right along the line of our topic of the podcast episode today. A couple bishops and a missionary in these stories. So one one story here. Joseph, I'm going to say his last name is Nipe, N-E-I-P-P? Nipe? Nape? Maybe it's Nape. I don't know how to pronounce that. Joseph Nape, 72 is accused of sexually abusing two sisters, not sister missionaries, by the way, two girls who were sisters, referred to as Jane Doe and Jane Doe Two in the lawsuit. This is in San Jose, California, Santa Clara County Superior Court. LDS Church is at the center of a lawsuit that claims the institution could have prevented two young girls from being sexually abused. Nape was once the bishop of San Jose's Branham Ward in South San Jose. The lawsuit alleges Jane Doe was sexually abused by Nape between 2009 to 2016, and Jane Doe too was abused from 2012 to 2016. He's currently facing. This guy was in his 60s when he was doing this shit. Yeah, and he was a bishop in his 60s doing this. Nice. Yeah, he's currently facing criminal charges for child sex abuse. The lawsuit names Church of Christ Latter-day Saints, which oversees Branham Ward operations, stating it had a duty to protect the young girls from sexual abuse by church leaders. I would totally agree with that. It also stated Nape inappropriately, quote, groomed, unquote, the girls on church property. The family was especially trusting of Nape, Mm. since Mm. church members are taught that bishops are chosen by God to represent a ward. Sound familiar? Quote, The church taught its members, including plaintiffs and their parents, that the bishop was chosen by God to represent the ward. As such, plaintiffs of their parents especially trusted Nape. This is the point 
that we're focusing on today. Right. Whether or not he did anything to earn that trust outside of a calling from <laughs> some other men who are yeah. also trusted. That's right. That's right. Jumping into the second story today, former LDS bishop accused of possessing child porn. A former bishop in the Church's Resolution Saints pled not guilty on Friday to charges of possessing child pornography. Well, you'll see in a moment he did plead guilty to other things. Timothy James Hallows, quite the interesting name, 62, of Kaysville. Yeah, these guys are old. I don't know when he was a bishop... Anyway, entered the plea during his initial appearance in U.S. District Court in Salt Lake City. Hollows was arrested in October 2019. So what is that? Seven, eight months ago here, whatever, nine months ago. On eight counts of sexual exploitation of a minor, he was officially charged on Friday with possessing material containing child pornography that involved a minor under the age of 12. Hollows told investigators he took pictures of children while on camping trips with youth in his role as a bishop in the Kaysville, Utah stake. Police said Hollows admitted to distributing images of child sex abuse on Skype. He also reportedly admitted to owning more than 100 images of child porn and said he used the pictures for, quote, sexual gratification, unquote. Huh. Investigators located Uh. thousands of pornographic pictures, including images of child sexual abuse and children and adults in sexual situations. This guy's twisted. Yeah, this is similar to some other, including the pornography ring that we talked about many episodes ago, where a bishop was involved as well. When Hallows was arrested, Church of Christ Saints issued the following statement through Eric Hawkins, Director of Media Relations, quote, The allegations against the individual are serious and deeply troubling. The Church of Latter-day Saints has no tolerance for abuse of any kind, (laughs) including child pornography, and teaches its members and leaders that such behavior is offensive to God and his church. You think? When local leaders learned of these allegations, this individual was immediately removed from any position that would place him in close contact with youth or children. Hold out your hand. I'm going to... Oh. Oh, yep. There. Naughty, yep. naughty. Yeah, yeah, this is done to ensure the safety of others and to allow this individual to address these serious allegations. Yeah, so we won't do background checks ahead of time on these motherfuckers. We'll just remove them afterward to be safe for people. I remember the day I called him as bishop and I had indigestion that day. It's really not my fault. Come on. Yeah, yeah. It's... For fuck's sake, people, come on. Background check. You know, again, an environment that's created because of false trust. That's right. That's right. Here we have another tragic incident in our third piece today. A little bit longer news today to kind of make some points, I guess, here. Latter-day Saint missionary from Utah dies in Georgia. Okay, so we've heard of a lot of missionaries. Well, we've mentioned at least four or five over the last several episodes. A 19-year-old Utah man serving a mission for the died in Lafayette, Georgia, according to a statement from church spokesman Daniel Woodruff. He died on Saturday evening. He was riding his bike when he was hit by a car. The driver who hit the missionary did not stop at the scene, so the troopers are looking to locate the individual 
the accident's under investigation. And says the church, we express our sympathy and heartfelt condolences to his family and loved ones as they mourn his passing and remember his life. We pray they will feel the love of our Heavenly Father at this difficult time. How about they trusted that a missionary has a high calling and has special protection from God because of what they're sacrificing and doing. Where was that special protection? Well, his mission in this life was over. Come on. And he's preaching to the spirits in prison right now. Yes, he wasn't officially released, so he's, he's still on his mission, Dave. On the other side now, because God needed him. God is it's needy. It's a higher calling. Oh, for fuck's sake, people. Wonderful. So, yeah. You know, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to get into our next segment, and we're going to ask some questions in a minute about these three incidents about trust. So let's pause for a moment, and let's talk a little bit, mon frere, about for your information. It's World War I, 1914. September 29th, Quorum of Twelve learns that Mission President has discovered that 15% of missionaries in the Netherlands during the past two years have been guilty of immoral practices. <laughs> yeah. And that a much greater percentage of elders have been exposed to these evils. So some were guilty of those practices. Others were just exposed to those practices. What, what the hell? The hell? <laughs> so they watched or what? I don't get yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. No, they were forced to watch. Oh, they were forced to watch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. Uh, okay. Right. 1915. April 6th. That special day in church history. Church releases its first detailed report. Check this out. To show how the tithing of the church for the year of 1914 has been dispersed. Okay, so a little disclosure there. These annual reports of expenditures continue until the last public statement in 1959. Yep, that's right. 59 years ago mm -hmm. uh, or seven, whatever the math is there that's when they uh, stopped being transparent with the finances yeah 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 okay yep. and now we have the introduction of another special part of the church uh-oh april 27th first presidency asked lds families to have home evening oh yeah not every week once a month oh once a month Okay. Yeah, just once a month. Here's the response. Mormons generally ignore this and similar appeals for 50 years. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you. I got better things to do. I'm going to watch the ball game. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. That's what home teachers are, by the way. They're spies. They remember they come out. <laughs> 
and they would drill you. Yeah. Are you saying your daily prayers? Are you fasting on fast Sunday? Are you having family home evening every week? That they go through this list of questions. Well, who the fuck's business is it of yours? Yeah, Joe and Jimmy <laughs> from down the street. You guys are creeping me out. Down the street, right. <laughs> Okay, we've got one entry we're going to read from 1916. June 30th, First Presidency Statement on the Father and the Son, which provides reconciliation of Book of Mormon passages, which seem, hang on, seem to contradict later official teachings about the separate character of the Godhead's trinity. Uh, okay. All righty. Yeah. It doesn't well, say what their explanation was, right? But no. I think I kind of remember. Yeah, it was pretty convoluted. I mean, I obviously wasn't like an adult back then to think about it. But yeah, anyway, it carried okay. forward. It carried forward. We're going to jump into 1917, just a little bit of U.S. history. October 10th, the 145th Field Artillery Regiment departs Utah for duty in the Great War. World War One. So yes. Just some history there. October 13th, Deseret News reports that Bishop Robert McGuire has resigned from Bishopric of the Ogden Second Ward. Resigned? <laughs> resigned. Okay. okay. Yeah. After rendering e efficient, uh, uh, okay, it sufficient efficient maybe both service as bishop for a period of 40 years oh my god wow yeah no wonder he resigned we think that's sufficient <laughs> 40 years oh. wow okay so it must have been later obviously when they put in like kind of time limits right for bishops right. and stake presidents and stuff like that and that way you don't have to get a revelation when it's time to release them oh the calendar is is your revelation yeah <laughs> that's good okay 1918 another oh. important year october 3rd joseph f smith's written vision of conditions of the spirits after death and redemption november 14th first presidency and 12 vote to accept Joseph F. Smith's revelation on spirit world, even though, and this is in the DNC, it's DNC 138. Mm -hmm. Even though, this is funny, several apostles have misgivings about it. Huh. Church officials published this vision and added it to the standard works in 1976. And I remember when that happened. Hmm. That year being added to the Doctrine and Covenants. November 19th, Joseph F. Smith dies. Oh. Smith is the only LDS president to be buried without public funeral due to the epidemic of Spanish influenza. Uh, oh. It's a familiar yeah. thing in, in our world now. No public gatherings, at least not at funerals. So they had social distancing going on, so no yeah. funeral. Interesting. Okay. You want one more? Sure. Let's have it. Okay. Let's jump into 1919. At a temple meeting of the First Presidency, Quorum 12, President Heber J. Grant, obviously the new president, mm -hmm. 
rules that patriarch ranks below apostles and has no significant vote in temple council meetings. Just the polar opposite of his predecessor, who said the patriarch should rank even higher than the president himself. Yeah, yeah. So He's like, I'm switching that for shit. All the unanimity <laughs> and understanding and what God wants in his church and yeah. how things are supposed to Jesus Christ. Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we'll get into this. There's a lot of disagreement. Always has been. Yes. Especially between members of the 12. Still is. Yes. Yeah. Still is disagreement we'll in the 12. To comment yeah. on that in the, in the ensuing weeks. Yes. Yes. And some of these have leaked. Some of these disagreements. It's harder to keep things completely, you know, quiet nowadays. Which right. is a good thing in most cases, I think. Yep. Thank you, bro, for another great segment of for all of our information i feel enlightened i feel informationalized let's talk about the definition of the word trust shall we mm -hmm. what does it mean to trust someone or something there's the typical kind of like merriam webster kind of definition things along the lines of reliance on the integrity strength ability surety etc of a person or thing, confidence, expectation of something, hope. So if you're trusting, you're having confidence or hope, you're relying on something for being real veracity. It's kind of an interesting characteristic of people, of human beings. We can trust in something that is not trustworthy in the end. We could trust in something that we were deceived to trust in, or vice versa. We could place our trust well in something that turns out to be ultimately trustworthy. How quickly we trust, what it requires us to believe or to kind of have confidence in to be able to trust. These are all interesting little elements. So we have a situation in the Church of Jesus Christ where trust has become a tool that the leadership uses to gain benefit from its members, to gain financial benefit, to gain obedience, right? Well, control. Right back to the to the C word, control. You just said it. That's I right. I think it, it's another form of control. <clears throat> exactly. And so if you think back to our three kind of sad news bits today in LDS Church in the News, do you think the abused children trusted the bishop who abused them? Do you think the parents of those children trusted those bishops who were, quote-unquote, called of God, that their children were safe around them? Do you think the family and friends of the missionary who died trusted that he had special protection, being in that special calling as a missionary, that he would receive divine protection from God? I would probably right. say yes if I was a guessing person to all three well, of those you, scenarios. You don't have to guess. I, yeah. I get you, the way you're saying that. Yeah. Kind of. Of course, it's expected. Trust is a good thing. It's a very good 
attribute and characteristic. And without it, we wouldn't function very well on the planet at all. But what we're talking about, as Michael has brought up, is misplaced trust. Yes. Or in other words, unfounded trust. Trust that has not been earned. How did you put it? Fraudulently earned? Yeah, yeah. Fraudulently, you know, fraudulent claims are made, which instill or are a catalyst for your trust, right? So, you know, people throw out some concepts, you believe those concepts, and so because you believe those concepts, that leads ultimately to, I trust such and such, right? And there's a huge list of such and such, you know? I trust the leaders. I trust the gospel, the principles are true, right? I I trust the—which leads to some of the definitions we just went through, like hope. We talk about faith and hope. Faith and hope come from trust. That's where they come from. You wouldn't have them if you didn't trust something, right? Even if it's as simple as, I trust such and such is true. I trust what that guy told me. I trust this feeling. That's right. Obviously, for instance, in in the case of the church and outside, a friend, a neighbor, an acquaintance, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, a person makes a promise to you or an entity, meaning a business promise, something like that, and they keep their promise. I have now increased my trust in this person. Yes. Okay. They yeah. break their promise. Now I've lost my trust in you. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. It's a good thing when you can trust someone without them having t- to uh, like prove it. Show you explicitly. Right. Prove it. Yeah. So, but in the church, no, it's just automatic. This man, the word worthiness comes up. This mm. bishop, for instance, and or stake president, on and on must have been a trustworthy person to be called to that position. That's the assumption. Yeah, to begin with, yeah. To begin with, but there's no, as we've discussed, no real revelation in Mm -mm. those callings, Mm -mm. no background checks. And so it's misplaced trust and dangerous, actually. Yeah, and that's exactly the point, I think, that you bring up there. The members, it's like a chain of trust, in the church, right? Yeah. So there's these kind of basic ideas. If I trust those ideas, then it creates a chain of trust that goes forward through all the other little intricacies of the church. So just using your example right there, the calling of a bishop to lead a ward, which entails all sorts of ideas, like you're safe with him, he's guided by God, He's a judge in Israel. He's going to have, uh, and he's you also know, called the father of the father ward. of the ward. Be able to trust your father exactly, right? So Maybe. that carries all this baggage, if you will, with it. And so, what would be required? Well, I would have to believe certain basic principles, like a person can be called of God. That that situation can and does happen. That this is a real thing, right, where a real revelation is happening, real guidance is happening to this man, right, real inspiration exists. So I I trust all those foundations. So if those are real, and then this guy, John Doe, is called, well, then I trust him, because the one leads to the other, right? So the point being, and we'll get more into this, but if all those cores that built your trust to begin with 
that would lead to something being possible, like a man being called as a bishop or safe, etc. If those core things are bullshit, then you have, as you said, David, misplaced your trust. And sometimes that misplacement of trust is not your fault per se directly, right? Because you have been misled. And so if I was a salesman and I said, hey, I have this property over here and you trusted me, then that would probably be true. I would have property over there. But if I was misleading you, then your very initial assumption would be false. So your trust would be misplaced, right? And so that's kind of what we're talking about with this misplaced trust idea. It does go back to the core. It goes back to the basics, if you will, where if you trust something is true to begin with that isn't, well, then everything that flows from that obviously is going to be misplaced, right? And that's kind of what's, what's happening here. So we can talk, David, and I know you've got some verses to share. Let me share a tidbit before that where we start to get the idea in the church of what are you supposed to trust and how are you supposed to increase or gain your trust? How are you supposed to, like, what things should you not do that might threaten your trust? We're going to talk about some of those things because those all relate to the conundrum that we find ourselves in where situations can happen like what we talked about in the news today. They come from a sequence of events, what the members are taught to do on both sides, if you will, of this concept of trust. Things to gain it and create it, things not to do to get rid of it, right? And these, these are both related. So let's talk about, there's a short little entry called Prophets. If you go to LDS.org, and, or now it's churcheschrist.org, uh, you'll be redirected. I always type LDS.org out of rebellion. <laughs> it's not out of rebellion. It's just shorter to type three letters. <laughs> anyway, there's this gospel topics list. I'm not talking about the gospel topic essays, which is a whole nother conundrum. I'm talking about their A to Z list called gospel topics, where they have all these little topics and these little articles. This one is for prophets. So let's just read a little bit of this. As members of the Church of Saints, we are blessed to be led by living prophets, inspired men called to speak for the Lord, as did Moses, Isaiah, Peter, Paul, Nephi, Mormon, and other prophets of the Scriptures. We sustain, there's one of those words, that kind of means trust. We sustain the president of the Church as prophet, seer, and revelator, the only person on the earth who receives revelation to guide the entire Church. Remember what Ka the snake said, not just trust in me, just in me, the only snake, uh, only person <laughs> on the earth who and receives. Like voice where, where he's got the. <laughs> oh, yes. I love it. I love and, it. Uh, you know, that's the same actor who did Winnie the Pooh's voice. Right. You can hear it that, when you... It, that's yeah. right. Anyway, I forget his name. Love the actor. We also sustain... Substitute the word trust. We also sustain slash trust the counselors in the First Presidency and the members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as, infamous phrase, prophets, seers, and revelators. Well, that's a mouthful. 
That's some powerful shit. Prophets, seers, revelators. Like the prophets of old, prophets today testify of Jesus Christ and teach his gospel. Well, they testify of his name, David. Let's remember oh, that. Him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. they, make, they make known God's will and true character. They speak boldly and clearly, denouncing sin, warning of its consequences. At times, they may be inspired to prophesy of future events. <laughs> At times... They make it sound even in their own article that it's just some random <laughs> shit. <laughs> Future events for our benefit. Yeah, they can prophesy. Hey, COVID's going to come. You might want to... Pre- nah, that's not, that's not beneficial. Don't let us know. <laughs> we, can, we can always... Oh, here we go. Are you ready? Hold on to your shorts. We can always trust the living prophets. Okay. Remember that. So think back a while to the the members of the church who lived during the days of Brigham Young. They could always trust Brigham Young as the living prophet. All right, folks. Joseph Smith could always trust Joseph as the living prophet. And Their teachings in there since yeah. you're the founder that yes with trust, especially in marital relationships, which is where it's discussed a lot. Yeah. You trust your spouse to be faithful. Mm. I have a question. Did Emma trust Joseph? Was she completely oblivious to his shenanigans? shenanigans? <laughs> we just stereotyped shenanigans. I love it. Shenanigans. I mean, I, she was a bright lady. She yeah. was educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think so, but it was one of these situations where I don't know what else to do. I can't leave him. I don't know. I'm not going to try to think for her, put words in her mouth. Yeah, I think you're but... talking later time frame, right? Because if you think back to the time period when Joseph and Emma, they basically, you know, they eloped because Emma's dad, Isaac, did not like Joseph. Speaking oh, he of had discernment. Yeah. Speaking of trust, <laughs> he didn't trust Joseph, right? And rightly no. so, because some stories were circulating circulating. <laughs> some stories were circulating around Joseph that kind of gave him concern. Like the fact that he was known to have gone to court for being accused of being a glass looker and defrauding people of money and he was also known for fraternizing with married women in various different counties. So Isaac was like, uh, hell no with my daughter. And Joseph was, well, I, I promise, sir, that I will no longer, I, I won't affiliate with these stones, seer stones anymore. I won't do that anymore. Today. <laughs> yeah. And with his fingers crossed behind his back, right? And Isaac's like, okay, I'm trusting you, Joseph. I'm trusting Again, you a, with a my daughter. Yeah, promise is broken. Yeah. I mean, and this is the story of Joseph Smith. Oh, yes. The foundation yeah. of the Mormon church. I mean, that's the beginnings of this. It is. And it's just followed. So, what? right, look. Wrapping up some of this tidbit around prophets, uh, because this is a good summary of what members are taught about this, right? We can always trust the living prophets. I hate that. 
Oh my God. Their teachings reflect the will of the Lord, mm-hmm. who declared, quote, What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. And though the heavens and the earth pass away, my word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled. And this is Doctrine and Covenants 138. We know this well as past members of the church. Whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is what? It is the same. This is the premise that the leaders still use prolifically today in their talks. When they start talking about God, then they move it to follow the brethren and, you know, follow the church and follow the brethren. So they equate the concept of the church and the brethren with God. God. Church and the brethren are God. That first verse, though, is correct because he says, and I excuse not myself, and neither do the modern brethren. They don't excuse ah! themselves. But um, bump. Yes, no kidding. <laughs> right, here you go. I shout out to the parents of the daughters and uh, the children who were abused by these bishops with this next paragraph. Our greatest safety lies in strictly following the word of the Lord given through his prophets particularly the current president of the church. The Lord warns that those who ignore the words of the living prophets will fall. He promises great blessings to those who follow the president of the church. As Russell M. Nelson and others throw Brigham and Joseph and other past prophets under the bus, I wonder how they feel about the members who trusted those prophets. So, Dave, you have some verses in Proverbs that also teach a concept. There's no problem with me saying, you know, that a past prophet is, I've got a better revelation because the church is still being restored. Sure. It makes perfect sense that the God that showed up back then is a different God that's showing up now. I mean, I, I don't see what your problem is. Okay. Anyway, I have a couple verses that are some of the, two of the most well-known in all of scripture. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't noticed how loaded they are these two verses from proverbs chapter 3 5 and 6 trust in the lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths Mm. so don't think for yourself and you're going to get constant revelation by trusting in him in other words direction for the path that you should walk as long mm. as you shut your brain off and blindly <laughs> trust in this being, you're, you're, you're set. You're good. I'm thinking of a song from a snake called Ka. Just close your eyes and trust. And there comes the conundrum that we're talking about today in particular, Dave, is back to what I just said. And I should have pulled quotes on this, but I think everybody's familiar enough. It's all over the talks today not just back in the day. I'm going to start by talking about God and God, 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 commandments, commandments, God, 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 church, 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 brethren, brethren, brethren. So brethren become God. Brethren are the speakers for God. Trust in the brethren. And that trust is extended all the way down to the concept of stake presidents, bishops, elders quorum presidents, relief society presidents, They are called of God, meaning trust in them. By the way, the way it's taught in the church 
you're not specifically supposed to blindly follow advice from a fellow member of your ward, for instance, only in that particular calling to which he has been set apart. So Joe Blow is my elders quorum president. So when he's officiating as such, I should trust that what he's telling me is true and, and comes from revelation mm -hmm. as a neighbor or business partner, not so much. However, right. there is rampant in the church business dealings gone awry. Oh yeah. Because of this pseudo trust yes. in our fellow members of the church. Yeah. Great point. Great point. That's one example of many, many where damage happens through trust that is misplaced. misplaced. That's right. That's right, bro. We're going to jump into some commentary here from one of our favorite people. I just got back from having some brisket, some smoked brisket uh, at his house, Holland. Is that all you were smoking or what? Uh, well, he smokes a special... He asked me to trust him as he pulled out a bag of this particular powder, and we had some... Uh, spiritual experiences but uh <laughs> anyway and i totally trusted him because he's hollering holland otherwise known as jowls we love him to death we trust him and even when he looks and sounds like an asshole he is speaking for god so i'm gonna pull open a commentary a talk from him called Lord, I believe, in this talk, David, he talks about this very concept. You'll recall a story in the Bible where a guy has a sick daughter, I think, something along these lines. We don't have to be exactly correct here because that's not the point, but it's in here. And the guy, Jesus walks by, whatever, right? And the guy says, hey, heal my daughter, please. And Jesus says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. And the guy says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Remember this story? Oh, yeah. And so Holland hops on top of that story, and he goes to town. And he talks about, essentially, trusting, trusting the brethren, Trusting your feelings, because as we all know, and we've said a bazillion times in this podcast, there's no better test of truth than feelings. Right, David? Feelings never betray the person who feels them. So, trust your feelings. Close your eyes. Trust your feelings more than any of your questions, doubts, intuitions, fears, concerns, you know, any of that. Don't trust that as much as your feelings, and believe first, second, and third, then have questions. That's basically the nature of his talk. He's asking the members to please embrace confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. Okay, Hold your questions and concerns up to the church, not the other way around. Please embrace yeah. confirmation bias. And that's, that's the... Lord, help my unbelief part of that verse is if I do have some unbelief, some degree, help me with that because I know you can get rid of it for me. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah exactly, man. So, hey, let's let's jump into a couple segments here and you'll get an idea of kind of the thrust, as it were, of this message. 
He has three observations. This is his first observation about how we should look at this story, how we should, should handle our questions and our concerns about the church. He's talking about this, this is a relatively recent talk, because of all the shit that's coming to light, all of the changed narrative that's happening about even the most basic fundamental th- things that we thought were true about the beginnings of the church are coming out that not really what we thought. Okay, so this is going to cause questions, doubts, concerns, fears among the church members. Their trust might shake a little in the brethren. So these are the observations that Holland makes to prevent that from happening. Here we go. Observation number one regarding this account is that when facing the challenge of faith, the father asserts his strength first and only then acknowledges his limitation. His initial declaration is affirmative and without hesitation. Lord, I believe. I would say to all who wish for more faith, remember this man. In moments of fear or doubt or troubling times, hold the ground you have already won, even if that ground is limited. So that's his first little tidbit of advice. That's a war reference, if you think about it. Holding the ground that you've already won is a direct Is a war reference, war. yeah, you're right. And so is that what we're doing? We're at war? Okay, all right. Huh. Romanticize it a little bit, I guess. At war with the truth, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so first say, I believe, then help thou in my unbelief. So hold on to that first part. Close your eyes. Okay, here we go. In the growth we all have to experience in mortality, the spiritual equivalent of this boy's affliction or this parent's desperation is going to come to all of us. When those moments come and issues surface, the resolution of which is not immediately forthcoming, hold fast to what you already know and stand strong until additional knowledge comes. We're abusing the K word again. No. Hold fast to what you already know. So we're starting to do the magic here in confirmation bias. We're saying, hey, you know. You and I and all this whole room of people know that you know. We know, no, no. X, Y, and Z, right? You don't know ABC over here, but keep hold voraciously to X, Y, Z because you know that's true. <laughs> well, how do you know? With your feelings. Okay, so hold on to those fucking feelings because there's no way those are false, right? Hold on to that. Embrace confirmation bias. Now carefully ask these questions, right? So don't really question what you think you believe. Just kind of question it. Hold on to these pieces and never question those pieces is what he's kind of saying here, right? So Which is, yeah. he's equating having a question with unbelief. Oh, yes, of course. If That's you right. have questions, you're an unbelieving soul. Yeah, and he'll talk more about that. Yeah, he'll talk more about that later. He tries to downplay that, but the fact that he's encouraging confirmation bias takes us right back there, right? So 
Let's. Uh, it was of this very incident, this specific miracle, that Jesus said, "If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you." The size of your faith or the degree of your knowledge is not the issue. It is the integrity you demonstrate toward the faith you do have. Capture that for a second. What? Doesn't matter how much knowledge or faith or whatever you have, it's your integrity to hold on to what you do have. So those little bits and pieces that you do feel pretty confident about, about the church. Yeah, I'm pretty damn sure this piece is true. Hold on to that. Don't let that go. Thus, confirmation bias, right? Don't totally ever openly question your belief system, just the pieces that you feel a little frail about. Which ends up being 90% of what's <laughs> Right? That's but the challenge. That's okay. That's yeah, okay. Yeah, that's if, okay. If you have issues with that much of what's going on in the church, you still have that foundational mm-hmm. thing. What? Let's see. What? Which is it? Oh, yeah. Joseph was a living prophet. That, yeah, yeah. Just hold on to that piece and compare everything else to it, and then you'll always follow confirmation bias, and you'll be okay. All right, so here we go. Second observation coming up here. And the truth you already know. Yeah, the truth you already know. I missed that piece. Yeah, let's go on. The second observation is a variation of the first. When problems come and questions arise, do not start your quest for faith by saying how much you do not have, leading, (laughs) as it were, with your unbelief. That's like trying to stuff a turkey through the beak. Let me be clear. (laughs) How clever. (laughs) So this is a technique the brethren use often as well. They'll throw out hyperbole or these little phrases to lighten the gravity of what we're talking about here. Don't try to stuff a turkey through its beak. (laughs) That's how fucking stupid you are. Right. You know, come on. You're as stupid as a person who would try to do that. Yeah. I mean, come on. This is all silly anyway. The fact that you're having any questions. I mean, come on. You're just being silly to begin with. I regret that I have to give this talk to you today. That's really his kind of demeanor, right? So here we go. Let me be clear on this point. I am not asking you to pretend to faith you do not have. I am asking you to be true to the faith you do have. So I'm asking you to have confirmation bias. That's what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you to pretend that you have higher faith and trust in things that you maybe don't, that you're questioning, but what you do feel like you know, don't go there, right? That's what I'm asking you to do. Like, don't question everything. Just question the pieces that you're saying, what the fuck about, (laughs) right? Oh, and hold those up to the standard of what you do know, right? So you're always going to disappear. Yeah, well, you're always going to end up in the same place. The church is true. 
right? That's what you're always going to end up with if you follow his circuitous, his circuitous logic here. I'm going to jump a little for sake of time because there's all sorts of shit in here. Let's go to one of my favorite parts, shall we? He's going to give you advice directly here, David. Here we go. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a divine work in process. Oh. With the manifestations and blessings of it abounding in every direction. So please do not hyperventilate if from time to time issues arise that need to be examined, understood, and resolved. They do and they will. In this church, what we know will always trump what we do not know. And remember, in this world, everyone is to walk by faith. Yeah. What a bunch of mind fuckery right there. Don't wow. hyperventilate. Again, using this little hyperbole to kind of downplay, right? And almost make fun of this process. Don't hyperventilate. <laughs> you silly person. Don't get too uptight about Remember, there'll always be questions. They're going to keep coming up. Mostly because our narrative keeps changing, but we won't go there. <laughs> so these questions are going to keep... Just look, don't hyperventilate. Just remember, in this church, what you already know trumps those questions every time. Well, the part that I w thought was just fucking terrible is that not only will there always be questions, they'll always be resolved. Uh, nope. Yeah, and oh, I got to share the piece at the end will just piss you off about that. But there's another little segment here. Remember, David, we're all imperfect, including Holland, even though he's not a dodo. Let's. So be kind oh, regarding uh... human frailty, your own, as well as those who serve with you in a church led by volunteer mortal men and women. Except for the ones who aren't volunteering, they're actually getting paid. But let's okay. never mind that. Hold on. I'll, Except I'll in the case of now. his only perfect begotten son, imperfect people are all God has ever had to work with. Yeah. How do you like that? God, the omnipotent being in the universe who has all power to do whatever the fuck he needs to do, Ah, let's not forget, he's always had to rely fully on all these imperfect, idiotic people. And they're going to make mistakes, okay? And that's all God has to work with, because God has to work with people. Because <laughs> he's needy and weak, he has to use people. Oh my God, hold on. That must be terrible. Terribly frustrating to him, but he deals with it. Oh, fuck no. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he's terribly <laughs> frustrated, just like I am oh with you. Oh, my God. Just, I'm supposed to feel good about that? Yeah, just like I'm... He's frustrated that he has to work with a piece of shit like me. Yeah, oh, look, okay. just like I'm frustrated with all you people out there who have questions about the church, you motherfuckers, God <laughs> is really frustrated with you and me. Because we're just so imperfect. We're all he has. Huh, poor guy. Huh. Poor God. And when you see imperfection, remember that the limitation is not in the divinity of the work, 
As one gifted writer has suggested, when the infinite fullness is poured forth, it's not the oil's fault if there's some loss because finite vessels can't quite contain it all. Those finite vessels include you and me. So be patient and kind and forgiving. Yeah. Yeah. With the leaders. He's not saying with each other. No, well, he's, he's not. making it sound not like really. he's saying that. But yeah, what he means he's really saying with, with the leaders. Yeah. Here's the thing, Dave. When you do have questions, are any of them valid to have? And can you get any help in actually getting answers to your questions? Just a little Dixie cup. You can't handle this shit anyway. Yeah, you can't <laughs> handle the truth. That's what I should have got the clip of. Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Your cup is so uh, Here we go. He's going to tell us, David, there's a recipe for getting help. If you really have legitimate questions and you go about it the exact right way, David, here we go. When doubt or difficulty come, do not be afraid to ask for help. If we want it as humbly and honestly as this father did, we can get it. The scriptures phrase such earnest desire as being pursued with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God. In response to that kind of importuning, I testify God will send help from both sides of the veil to strengthen our belief. Dead people are going to help me. Cool. Yeah, yeah, you know, the dead are grateful. Remember that, the dead are grateful. I can give you dozens of examples, and we obviously don't have time to go through them in our episode today, of people who have even had, you know, the willingness to sit down and and have conversations, interviews, you know, about this, their experience. As a bishop, a mission president, a, a lay member of the ward, having questions, there's a lot of people who went further than you and I could ever go just because of even just things as simple as relationships, friends that they had who knew someone who knew someone where they had a, a really pretty cool opportunity to even sit down with one of the 12 apostles and ask some of these questions, right? So talk about patience, humility, perseverance, and really honestly seeking answers, right? Really open-mindedly approaching the brethren. I kind of think of B.H. Roberts doing this now that we're in the Heber J. Grant period of For Your Information, right? And bringing some of the anachronisms in the Book of Mormon to the brethren. Same kind of thing, right? He goes to the source, and he's like, you guys talk with God. I trust that. I trust that God gives you revelation. I'm going to, you know, use that trust. Will you please ask God, for answers for these anachronisms in the Book of Mormon, and then I'll publish them. You know, let's get it out there to the world, right? I trust you guys, to which they bore their testimonies and provided no answers. And these same people who have given interviews about their process of talking with such and such apostle or such and such 70, and honestly, you know, with heartfelt inquiry, asking their questions— and help did not come. Well, Be- look at Holland, yeah. what he says about, I guarantee you, 
Yeah. If you ask these questions with this attitude and do it this way, help will come from both sides of the veil. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. That is not an answer. No. How, who, where, and when are my questions going to be answered? That's right. That's right. Fuck. Yeah. Not an answer. Yeah. Not an answer. Yeah. And it goes back to just what you know. So if you think about it, when the brethren were bearing their testimony to B.H. Roberts to, quote unquote, answer his questions about the anachronisms in the Book of Mormon, which isn't an answer to your point, they were doing the same thing that they were kind of trying to ask him do, to do or that Holland's asking the members to do in his talk. Hey, hey, go back to what you know. <laughs> That's the same thing. I know the church is true as they bear their test. I'm going back to what I know. I don't know the answers to these really pertinent, kind of troubling, actually, questions, but I do know this. Well, that isn't an answer, is it? No. I mean, think of the stupidest metaphor. You're going down the street. You don't see a speed limit sign. So you're going, you're taking a guess, and you're going 55. And the cop pulls you over, and he says, look, you were exceeding the speed limit. Well, I didn't see a sign. Well, you should have gone by what you know. <laughs> well, I know I should be safe. I, I know usually these things are 55, these type of roads where there's no businesses or residential. You know, I, I made a best guess. No, you should have just gone with what you know. Well, I, I thought I was. Can you give me the answer then? What is the speed limit here, officer? I know that the speed limit in residential is 25 and in office areas is 35. I know that. Um, what's the speed limit here? I know that residential is 25. Um, <laughs> you're not helping me out. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. I mean, for yeah. fuck's sake, come on. Just You have to have the answer. You're an officer of the law. You probably know what the speed limit is on this road, right? Well, I know back there it's 25. So again, what? not only are the brethren excellent apologists, they've become honed in evasion. Mm. They're like lawyers or politicians, I should say. Well, both mm. maybe. They avoid the question. How many times have you ever heard a politician actually answer a yes and no question with yes or no? No. The they same don't. shit going on mm. here. Here's the rhetoric to use to avoid those troubling questions. Mm -hmm. And by the way, always the answer of hold up your questions and your legitimate, honest concerns. Hold those up to the church, not the other way around. Doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts, which is some of the worst life advice that I could ever give anybody right? Because there's usually a pretty good reason. You know, your mind, your intuition, your heart is pretty special. I mean, there's usually a pretty good reason why you feel a tweak about something, right? Like, eh, just doesn't seem right. Just doesn't feel, you know. And so, I don't know. Doubts are okay, right? Don't doubt your doubts. Embrace your doubts. Explore the shit out of them, right? And you may find one way or the other. You may find that your doubt was erroneous or you may find it was legit. You know, I mean, you won't know until you embrace it and pursue it, right? I trust my key holders, said one person when I announced on Facebook the Sam Young initiative a couple years back now about protect the youth. I trust my key holders, he said. Yeah, because they're not going to try to fondle you. 
Yeah. So good Maybe. for you. I'm sure the parents of the girls who were molested trusted their bishop. I'm sure the parents of the dead missionary trusted his calling was a special protected situation from God. Look, I'm sure Nancy Rigdon trusted Joseph as the prophet until he came on to her and said, let's have sex. And she screamed and wept, according to the record. Of course, she, of course she did, right? And I guarantee you, if you could talk to Nancy Rigdon today, one of the reasons she had that outburst and that reaction is her trust had been broken. Shattered. Shattered. Yeah. She trusted him, and she was harmed because of that trust. Folks, don't misplace your trust. Trust should be earned. It should rely at least, man, every gut instinct and inkling and whatever you've got. Don't extend trust easily. What can you even add to that, Dave? I mean, well, again, all those things, plus the person's track record, if they're a new person in your life, do some investigation. Maybe if, if, the advice being given or the action being taken is in, in question. There's that word. Oh, oh, he's questioning. What? Come on. Blind trust. You end up on the bottom of the cliff. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he said it was only three more steps. <laughs> I trusted him. I'll end here. And I'm curious your final thoughts on this, Dave. I, a piece I didn't share of Holland's talk. He said, Sometimes we act as if an honest declaration of doubt is a higher manifestation of moral courage than is an honest declaration of faith. It is not. And that is the most contradictory to truth statement I've heard from Holland in a long, long time. I can't help but wonder how long he stayed up cooking that thing up. Yeah. I mean, guys... If you don't obviously already know, that is bullshit. It is the exact opposite. Having an honest declaration of doubt is a much higher manifestation of moral courage than to just accept something at face value and declare faith in it. Especially since a lot of things that you thought you knew were were correct in your life. And I'm talking about just life, not even religion. You come to find out later we're wrong. It happens all, all the, the time. time. And so you yeah. make an adjustment. You go, well, I thought that this particular, you know, whatever mineral or, you know, supplement is supposed to be good for you. I found out it's carcinogenic. Oh, shit. Okay. I'll quit taking it. But for a long time, I thought that was right. This is an ongoing process. That's what life is made of. Yeah. Constant discovery and learning. Yeah. And researching it. And, and yeah. yeah, not trusting in something way back when, like when you first heard your first testimony and decided that was what you were going to do with your life. Haven't thought about it since. Just still riding on that. And that's it. Stay with what you know and what you know you learned when you were six years old. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, why is it so much harder to admit that you could be wrong? Right. It, this goes right back to Holland's supposition and how false it is. It is so much harder to admit that you could be wrong, to admit that you might not know the truth, than it is to essentially close your eyes, turn away, and say, yep, yep, this is true, I know it, forever. Right, And it, that's one of the reasons it takes so much more 
in his words, kind of moral courage, moral fortitude to stand up and say, I admit it. I have a question about this. I admit it. I could be wrong about my belief in this. Oh my God, people, the bigger strength and courage that takes. Oh yeah. You know, and we all know that. We know this is a psychological truth. We know that that it's much harder to do that, right? It's much more courageous to stand up and say, look, I could be wrong. It doesn't mean you are, but just to admit you could be, right? And to be courageous enough to look at that and analyze the shit out of it and come to an understanding yourself, well, does it seem like I was right? Or does it seem like this is really wrong, right? That's courage, that is pursuit of something valuable as so opposed like you to said, yeah. he, he not only skewed that he inverted it yes 180 yep and exact opposite claimed it was a good thing claimed it was a good yeah. thing to hold on to what you think is already true right and not question that piece the damage to these families children i'm not just talking simple stuff that's still shitty, but physical, like financial damage because you trusted an institution, physical damage because of something. We're talking mental, emotional, permanent damage in some cases because of the trust that the church demands upon false foundations, and they're busting that trust to the title of the episode and destroying lives destroying dreams i may slither away but just remember i will always be around (laughs) sleep on in silent slumber (laughs) sailing on silvery mists he has lots of alliteration in there too it's beautiful all right guys love you as always we worry about you in that you're safe and secure, healthy, happy, able to boldly challenge your questions in life and pursue them and find your own place. (laughs) 